Well, our scripture reading this morning is going to be taken from the book of James. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 12. That text is also printed for you. You'll find it in the bulletin. I don't know if you've heard uh, the story that's been going around in the news lately. There was a there was a young lady, and I, I'm not sure where this was. It might have been in Tennessee somewhere. He was babysitting, and she had two children in the house. She was babysitting them, and she got them ready for bed. And uh, The family didn't have a television on the main floor, so she was going to go downstairs in the basement to watch television. So she was downstairs watching television for a while, but, but she began to get creeped out because there was this this small clown statue in the corner. It was really, it was really freaking her out. And so she, she goes back upstairs and there's no television except for in the, the parents' bedroom. So she calls them and she says, can I go watch TV uh, in your bedroom? There's this, that clown statue y'all have downstairs. It's really freaking me out. And they said, get out of the house. We don't have a clown statue. And so they leave the house. They call the police. The police come and, and turns out there was an emotionally disturbed midget living in their basement who had escaped from like the insane asylum. And uh, I'm just kidding, y'all. I just got all. Oh, gosh. <laughs> See, um, that worked better than I thought. See, some of you were like pulling up Snopes on your iPhones. That story. Now, I, I tell that story worked better than I thought for two reasons. One, the babysitter was deceived about what the clown really was. The clown statue really was. You were all just deceived um, by the story that I just told. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about deception uh, and how we're deceived. Now, why are we talking about deception? Well, uh, every one of us here um, uh, has an irrational fear of midget clowns. Now, every one of us here, we need to deal with that. Uh, every one of us here has have these things in our life that we would like to change. All right, there, there are these gaps between who we would like to be uh, and who we actually are. Um, think of all the resolutions that you've made, all the New Year's resolutions, all the last week resolutions, all the this morning resolutions uh, about things we're going to be different in your life. There's, there's who we are, and there's who we like to be, and, and there's a gap there. It, it seems that no matter how hard we work, there's always this gap. And one of the reasons, one of the things that keeps us from changing, and our text is going to show us, is that we're deceived. We're deceived about several things, and we're going to look at that today. So, uh, if you would, um, uh, follow along with me as I read God's Word, James 1 beginning in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. 
Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, this is, this is your word, uh, and, and I am but a man, a sinful man. Uh, so, Father, would you be pleased to, to work through the things I say? Would you be pleased to work over and above what is said this morning? But work uh, in our hearts. Uh, remove from us the things that deceive us, that we indeed might be the people you would have us to be. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is our second week in the book of James, and we picked up today... In verse 12, which is also the verse that we ended with last week. It's kind of this hinge verse in the first chapter uh, of James. If you remember last week, we looked at trials and troubles and how to handle those and how uh, we can even rejoice in the midst of our difficulties. And in verse 12, James is wrapping up what he said about trials. Uh, And then in verse 13, he jumps into temptation. All right, so, so what are the, what's the connection here uh, in his flow of thought? Well, the Greek word that's translated trial in verse 12 is the exact same word that's translated temptation in verse 13. All right, it's the same word both times in the original language. But it can have a different nuance depending on the context in which it's used. In which it's used. In fact, one translation puts it this way, puts verse 13 this way, and I think this probably catches the flow of the text the best. Never when you are being put to the test say God is tempting me. Never when you are being put to the test say God is tempting me. Uh, James segues from trials to temptations. Why does he do that? Because trials can be times of great temptation. You know, you lose your job. Uh, You've got bills due that you can't pay. Uh, You've got a huge project hanging over your head that that you can't seem to get done. Uh, Your significant other is broken up with you. You've just got turmoil in your life. And and those can be those times in life when you say, I've I've just had enough. I've just had enough. I I need an escape. I I need uh, to let off some steam. And we find ourselves doing things that we wish we hadn't done. And James is saying when you do that, when you in fact give in to sin, don't blame God for that. Don't blame God for that. You've got to own it. You've got to take responsibility for what you do. And that's the first way we're deceived. That's the first way we're deceived. We want to blame sin on something outside of us when the reality uh, is that the problem is inside of us. We think the cause of our behavior is located out there somewhere when in reality the cause of our behavior is inside of us. Um, in, In this particular text, James is addressing the situation where somebody is tempted, and they fall into sin, and they say, well, God tempted me. And James says, God didn't tempt you. That's not in the nature of God. That's not who God is. 
you want to blame this on God, but you sinned uh, because you were enticed. You were lured by your own desires and you gave in to that and you sinned. You did what you did because you wanted to do it. That's why you did it. Don't, don't blame it on anyone else. You did what you did because you wanted to do it. Now, I, I, honestly, I don't hear many people today using this particular method of blame shifting. I don't, maybe you have, but I sinned because God tempted me. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody actually say that. But I do hear people saying, I've been struggling with this particular sin, whatever it is, and I've been praying to God about it. I've been asking God to take it away, and He just hasn't done it. I don't want to do this. I've been telling God I don't want to do this, but He hasn't taken it away yet. And so we subtly shift the responsibility for our sin to God. I really don't want to do this. He's just not keeping me from doing it. Uh, the other way we uh, evade our responsibility is by blaming our behavior on our circumstances. Uh, look, the only reason I yelled at you is because you made me so mad. Uh, the only reason I made that hand gesture at that driver is because they don't know how to drive. It's, it, it's, not, it's not my responsibility. I only lied because the boss said he'd fire me if I didn't lie in this situation. I didn't really want to lie. I just, I, I had to lie. Jonathan Edwards once said something uh, along the lines of, you only do what you most desire to do. You only do what you most desire to do. There's never a situation when that uh, truth is overridden. The, the boss uh, didn't force you to lie. You lied because at that moment what you most desired was to keep your job. Right? You only do what you most desire to do. And so James says... Don't be deceived about who's responsible for your actions. You're responsible for your actions. The second thing James tells us is don't be deceived about where all of this leads, about where disobedience to God leads. Look at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You're lured and enticed. You're, you're seduced is really the imagery that James is, is using here. And desire gives birth to sin, and sin brings forth death. I think here's why we tend to think about sin and disobedience in our lives uh, as we say, well, I won't go that far with this. I'll only indulge it a little bit. Or, nobody's really going to get hurt by this. Or, or, or I, can, I can keep this under control. And it's kind of like putting an entire chocolate cake on our desk and saying, I can just, I can just take a bite. I'm not going to mess with the rest of it. It'll be fine just to leave it. Just every once you know, have a little bit more. It's not going to lead anywhere bad. But James is saying you're more like a fish who sees the lure and you're like, ah, oh, that looks really good. And you take the bait, you take the lure, and before you know it, you're hooked. And then you're being drugged into the boat, and then you're being taken off the hook. And then you've had your head chopped off, and you're gutted and cleaned, and somebody's eating you. Um, that's what he's saying is that's where sin leads. 
That's the natural progression of all of this. But your flesh always wants you to think, well, that, that's just my desire. And, and there's something wrong with having unfulfilled desires. And so we begin to dabble in sin. And James says, when you dabble with sin, even if it's just in your mind, I'm just going to think about this a little bit. I'm not going to really go there. I'm just going to think about it a little bit. Think about where it's all leading. Think about where it's all leading. How many people have said, I never intended to wind up here. I, I never imagined I was going to wind up here. And James says that's the natural progression of sin. Unchecked sin in your life. So, don't be deceived about who's responsible for your behavior. Don't be deceived about where this all leads. And then he tells us, don't be deceived about what the real problem is or where the real problem lies. I might put it that way. Here's what I mean. If the engine on your car is about to go out, uh, do you look at your car and say, I think I can make this all better by giving it a new paint job? See, it doesn't, it doesn't affect what's really wrong with your car. You can't fix something that's wrong on the inside by trying to change something on the outside. Uh, in the same, it's the same way with our behavior. We see sometimes these sinful habits that we're trapped in, or this behavior that we don't like in our lives. And we say, we, we hear a sermon, we're like, ah, yeah, 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 okay, I really need to stop doing that. I've got to stop doing that. And so we might get an accountability partner. We might make a resolution to read our Bible more. Uh, we might build some sort of hedge around the particular thing that we struggle with. Uh, and that works for a while. But what's the problem with hedges? Hedges always have little gaps in them. And you can kind of peek through the hedge. And sometimes hedges have big holes in them. And you kind of stick your head through the hole. And before you know it, you've got, you're trapped in the hedge. <laughs> but you're still involved in the same sin. You're stuck all over again. You know, maybe you've talked to a friend or a counselor and, and their advice has been something along the lines of, well, you just need to, you just need to stop. You really, this is destroying your life. You've got to stop it. And maybe you say that to yourself. Right? You're very aware of these particular things in your life that don't need to be there. And she's like, I've got to quit doing this. And that's kind of the extent of your uh, self-counsel. And it makes me think of this old, <clears throat> this old Bob Newhart skit. And you really should go home and Google this on YouTube. It's, it's just Google Bob Newhart, stop it. Uh, and, and here's the scene. Bob Newhart is playing a counselor, and this lady comes into his office, and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, you're the lady who's got a fear of being buried alive in a box. And she says, yes, that's who I am. And he says, well, well let, me, let me explain how this is going to work. <clears throat> I charge $5 for the first five minutes. And after that, it's all free. This usually only takes five minutes. Uh, so tell me again, tell me about your problem. Well, I've got this fear of being buried alive in a box. And I start to think about it and I, and I panic. I say, well, has anybody ever tried to bury you alive in a box? Uh, no, but, but I can't go through tunnels. 
and I can't ride elevators, and I can't go into houses because they're boxy. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of anything like that. And he says, okay, I get it. You're claustrophobic, right? He says, yes, that's it. I'm, I'm claustrophobic. He says, okay, I'm claustrophobic, okay. Well, look, I've got, I've got two words for you. She says, should I, should I write this down? He says, no, 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 they're just two words. I think most, most people we find can remember them. Um, two words for you, but I want you to listen carefully, okay? And then he looks at her and he yells, stop it! And she says, what? Stop it! I'm, I, I don't understand. S-T-O-P, second word, I-T, stop it. And so they, you know, talk for a little bit more, and he finally gets up and says, well, it only took three minutes, um, so it'll only be $3. And she says, well, I've only got a five, so I don't make change for a five. And she says, well, okay, I want my last two minutes. Then he's okay, if you got any more problems I can help you with. <laughs> and she says, well... Okay, um, I'm bulimic, and I stick my fingers in my mouth. Don't do that. Are you crazy? <laughs> Stop it. Well, I get in these self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it. Don't get into those relationships. Well, I, I wash my hands a lot. Well, that's okay. There's a lot of germs out there. I wash my hands a lot, too. Uh, and then she says, I'm afraid to drive. Stop it, you kook. Get in your car. And drive, you're never going to get anywhere. And so the lady finally gets really upset with it. And says, you're not helping me at all. He says, I'm not being clear enough. You think we need to talk more? Yes, yes. He says, okay. I've got ten words for you. Write these down. You ready? Ready. Stop it, or I'll bury you alive in a box. <laughs> okay? Stop it, or I'll bury you alive in a box. And that's how many of us approach change. Now, we don't think about it, but that's the way we approach it. We threaten ourselves. That's the way we approach change in other people. Stop. Just stop it, or, or I'll bury you alive in a box. We threaten other people, and we threaten ourselves. Oh, look, don't misunderstand me. Our, our wills are involved. There are things we need to stop doing, and we do actually have to quit. But James is saying, you've got a much deeper problem that's not being addressed when all you approach is your behavior. Uh, verse 14 says, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own, what? Desire. His own desire. And NIV translates this evil desires. But it's actually not the best translation. The better translation would be over desires. Over desires. See, the problem is not necessarily that we want bad things, although sometimes we do, but the real problem is that we want good things, we want anything too badly. It's not that we want bad things, it's that we want good things too badly. Stephen Speaks is the campus minister for uh, RUF at, at Clemson, and I, and I stole this illustration from him, and, and um, if it's not entirely scientifically accurate, then you can blame him. Let's put that disclaimer on it. But, but he, he says our, our hearts are like this. It's like we have molecular hearts. And here's what he means by that. Here's what he meant by that. Uh, think about oxygen. An atom of oxygen doesn't exist by itself. It's always bound to something else. In, in oxygen, an oxygen molecule, you have O2. Uh, in water, you have oxygen bound to hydrogen. All right? Uh, then you have 
CO2 and you have carbon dioxide and you have all of these different things that oxygen always binds, the atom of oxygen always binds to something else. It's always attached to something else. And he said our hearts are like that. They're always attaching themselves to something and whatever your heart attaches itself to you uh, becomes a character forming element in your life. If your heart attaches itself to money, if that's what your desire is, then what you get in your life is greed. If your heart attaches itself to relationships, then what you become is clingy to other people. The thing that your heart attaches itself to always becomes the controlling center in your life. Uh, I had somebody recently tell me they were really struggling with anger, and they went and they talked to a friend for a while, and they finally realized what their heart was attaching itself to was success. And they felt like their success was threatened, and so they became very angry. Uh, if, If you're driven in certain ways, you're driven by success, and that success is uncertain, that's what can create anger in your lives. Uh, when you come home, so you come home and yell at the kids and kick the dog. You may ever do that. Uh, you do need to stop doing that, okay? I would discourage that. Um, but it's not enough just to say, I've got to quit doing that. You, you've got to see what over-desire, what desire of your heart is actually giving birth to this sin. What desire of your heart is giving birth to this external action. When you're struggling with worry, it's not enough just to say, I I really need to stop worrying. You need to trace that back to the desire of your heart, that over-desire. It's often an over-desire to be in control. And you're not in control. We're finite creatures. And so what that creates in your heart, what what expression that creates, uh, is worry creates worry because we want to be in control. Look at the sins, the sinful behavior that crops up in your life, but if you really want to change, you can't just deal with the action itself. You've got to trace it back to the very desire of your heart. You've got to unmask those desires. You've got to say to money, money, you're a false god who would never die for me. You would never give yourself up for me. Uh, Success, you're a lying god. Uh, You leave me feeling burdened and stressed out. You would never die for me. You would never give yourself for me. You'll never deliver on what you promise. And the real problem is that in the midst of these over-desires, we look to these (coughs) idols, these pseudo-saviors, these things that are not God. When I get my life organized, then I'm going to be happy. When people begin to respect me, then I'm going to be happy. When I can string together enough pleasurable experiences, when my life uh, has got enough fun stuff going on, then I'm going to be happy. And James is saying, look, when there's this gap between who you are and who you'd like to be, when you want to change, yes, look at your behavior, but don't just look at your behavior. Look at what's underneath your behavior. Look at your over-desires. Look at the things that you have to have. Look at the things that are really ruling your heart and uh, forming the very direction of your life. And so James says, look, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived 
about who's responsible for your behavior. Don't be deceived about where sin really leads. And don't be deceived about where the real problem is and where real change is needed. And so Jesus is telling us in all this to to unmask our hearts, to, to see ourselves for who we are, to see our sin, to see what's going on inside of us, to realize how our desires lie to us, to see how our over-desires create these idols that lie to us. Uh, We've got to get to this place where we can look at this sin that so easily entangles us, to look at these enticements that are dangled before us and say, that's not true. You're trying to deceive me. You're lying to me, and I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to go in that direction. But there's one more thing here. Um, James tells us not to be deceived about what the real solution is. Another way to put it is James tells us not to be deceived about who God is. Don't be deceived about what your problem is, but don't be deceived about what the solution is either. Don't be deceived about who God is. And we see this uh, in verses 17 and 18. Uh, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. You know, there's this tendency to look at the commands of Scripture and then to look at the desires of our own heart, um, to look at these things that, that we say, man, if I give myself to that, I'm really going to find life. I'm really going to find pleasure. And we look at that, and we look at what God requires, and we start to say, I feel like God's holding out. I feel like He's keeping something from me. Is, is, is He really good to tell me I can't have this? Is it really good of Him to, to say I need to go against what my strongest heart desire is? Uh, is he holding out on me? If you've read the, the Harry Potter series, it's kind of the way Harry begins to feel about Dumbledore. Is he really good? Is he holding out on me here? Can I really trust him? And in the case of God, the answer is yes, he is really good. And no, he's not holding out on you. And yes, you can trust him. You see this, James shows us in the good gifts that God gives us in creation. Uh, We read elsewhere in Scripture that God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. That He supplies our needs. That He gives us air to breathe. That He gives us food to eat. We see His goodness in the good gifts that He gives us. Money is a good gift. Relationships are good gifts. Order is a good gift. But the good gifts that God gives us aren't meant to be the things that we latch on to. They aren't meant to be the things that our heart bonds with. They're meant to point us to the giver of the gifts. They're meant to point us to the God who made the gifts. So don't be deceived, James says. God God isn't holding out on you. He gives good. He gives good gifts. He's a giver of good gifts. But don't be deceived by the gifts either. They're good gifts, but don't be deceived by them. They're not what your heart is made to attach to. They're not what your heart is made to bond with. Your heart is made to bond with God. 
Well, how do I know that? How do I know he's good? How do I know he's not holding out on me? Well, verse 18 again, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Paul says something very similar in the book of, or he says something along these lines in the book of Ephesians. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Did you hear that at the very beginning? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. And what James is doing is he's actually pointing his readers here back to the new birth. Back to the fact uh, that when they were dead, when they were estranged from God, that God gave them new life through the message of the gospel, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. If you're ever going to change... It's not enough just to unmask the idols that deceive you and lie to you. Uh, It's not enough. You've got to actually unmask those idols and then rejoice in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. Rejoice in the salvation that you have in Christ. Rejoice that Jesus is the true Savior that you've been looking for all along in all of these false saviors. Uh, G.K. Chesterton put it this way. He said, The young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. You see, he's actually looking for God. He doesn't realize it, but that's what he's actually there doing, and that's what we've been doing. We've been looking for a Savior in money and in power and in success and in popularity and pleasure and all of these things. And Chesterton says, what you're really looking for is God. What you're really looking for is a Savior. And Jesus says, if you want to change, you've got to realize that I am that Savior. I am the Savior. If you want to change, you, as a believer, you've got to remember God's goodness to you in Jesus Christ. And you've got to remember day after day, Money's not my Savior. Success is not my Savior. Well, fill in the blank that you desire so much is not my Savior. Jesus is my Savior. You've got to remember God's goodness to you in Christ and that He gave you life in Christ. And your heart has got to be changed by a vision of that. You've got to have a new desire, as it were, created for Christ out of seeing how wonderful He is. Thomas Chalmers put it this way. He said, The heart's desire for having some object or other is unconquerable. In other words, you're going to desire something. Your heart is going to bond with something. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. It's not enough just to work on behavior. You've actually got to have a new affection, a new desire created in your heart. It is when we are admitted into the number of God's children through faith that is in Jesus Christ, the spirit of adoption is placed upon us. It is then that the heart, brought under the mastery of one great 
and predominant affection is delivered from the tyranny of its former desires and is the only way in which deliverance is possible. How do you change? How do you change? How is your heart attachment to control and pleasure and all these other pseudo-saviors loosened? You've got to see the false saviors for what they are. They've got to be unmasked in your life. But you've also got to see God for who He reveals Himself to be in the Gospel. The only Savior who loves you. The only Savior who would willingly die for you. And so James says, don't be deceived about your, by your over-desires. But don't be deceived about the goodness of God either. He loves you. And He bids you to come to Him in and through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, would you take anything that I have uh, made unclear and would you, uh, by your Spirit, make it clear? Would you lessen our attachment to these false saviors? Would you enable us to do battle against these over-desires of our heart? Would you, uh, as we look on your beauty in the gospel, create a new desire for you? Help us to see that you are the Savior we've been looking for in all the wrong places. Help us to see that you are the one that we need and that you are the one who loves us uh, and has given himself for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.